as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the OneTrust team for their support. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. Michael, we've had episodes on Rocketship before about growth, right? Of course. We've had all sorts of people on from the world of growth, from Eaton Shaw to Ryan O'Donnell of Cellhack. It's, you know, it's a popular topic. And those are awesome interviews. In fact, you should definitely go and check them out if you haven't yet, if you're listening. But today, we're going to focus on growth, but in a little bit of a different way. Yeah? Yeah. We're going to be talking about product-led growth and what it means when your product is actually put to work to grow itself. Yeah, and there are plenty of products out there today that are known to have been designed with growth specifically in mind. Very true. Although it's not necessarily a brand new thing. No, I still remember the little message at the bottom of Hotmail emails I'd get from people inviting me to sign up for their own free email account. And did you? Did you ever sign up for that Hotmail email account? Well, I, let's just cue the intro, okay? Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. 
We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So you've actually had a couple of conversations recently about product-led growth. Michael, you never answered my question. Do you have a Hotmail email account or no? <laughs> Come on. I think everyone had one at some point. All right. That's probably true. And yes, I did have a couple great conversations about product-led growth. Um, and one of them was actually a board member of a company who I would consider to be a great poster child in a way for companies that are designed with product growth in mind. And that is? Well, the conversation I had was with Blake Bartlett, who's a partner at OpenView, but one of the companies that he sits on the board of is Calendly. Oh, nice. That's a great example, actually. Um, and we use Calendly here like crazy. Yeah. Um, but before we even talk about what a great example that is, we should probably define you know, product-led growth. What is it? Yes. And I will let Blake do that. The actual definition of it is that it's a go-to-market strategy that relies primarily on the product itself as the primary driver of customer acquisition, conversion, and expansion. So that's the definition, that's what it is, but um, I think it's important first to kind of put that in context. And to me, putting that in context looks like taking a step back and saying, okay, well, where are we in the world of software today? Um, and I think that uh, fundamentally we're in a new era of software. Um, I call that the end user era. Um, and really the easiest way to think about the end user era and to make it kind of, um, I don't know, kind of come into focus for, for the average person is to think about a really popular modern application that we probably all use, something like Slack, right? And ask yourself kind of, how did my company adopt Slack? Um, and if you actually think through that process, it probably went something like an individual person at your company heard about Slack from a friend and they started, they signed up for it, right? And they started using it on their small little team for some messages back and forth. Pretty soon it kind of took off like wildfire. Now everybody's on Slack and we have all these different channels and we live and breathe in Slack and we can't imagine our lives without it. And, but that way to adopt a new piece of software is totally different, right? I mean, that end user finding something and kind of it spreading like wildfire, there's like not anything that looks like a sales rep in there, looks like attending a webinar or becoming an MQL or like all of these traditional sort of enterprise or business software motions that we usually think of historically of how new software is adopted or how it's sold. Um, and it's not just Slack. I mean, if you think of Dropbox, if you think of Zoom, if you think of, you know, uh, really, um, any probably modern application that your company runs on, it was adopted more in this sort of end user way than it was in the traditional sales way. Um, and so I think that kind of puts it into context. And if we're in this new end user era uh, and end users are finding products and they're sort of telling their bosses which ones to buy, uh, actually, I think Dropbox kind of says it really well. Um, they said this in their S1, so the document that they filed with the SEC to describe their business to prospective investors before they were actually gonna have their IPO. And they, they described their business like this. They said that bottom-up adoption within organizations has been critical to our success as users increasingly choose their own tools at work. And so if users are choosing the tools and this end user adoption is happening, then distribution has to evolve to, to it as well. And that's what product-led growth is. It's the distribution answer to the end user era. So Blake talked about how we're in the 
end user era, which is a new era that we're now living in, according to Blake, where we may be using applications for business purposes, but even those applications are adopted, not because some procurement manager signed a contract, but it's because they're adopted from the bottom up within an organization. Yes. So while we referenced that Hotmail example before, that was for consumers. And now it's not just consumer applications where this is relevant. The end user era applies to business applications like, as Blake mentioned, Slack, Zoom, Calendly, and others. So let's dig into that a bit. Why is Slack, for instance, an application that's considered to be product-led? Well, think about it. All it takes is for really one employee in an organization to get caught up in the value proposition of Slack. Maybe they joined our product collective Slack group, for instance, to connect with other product people. Or maybe the employee was invited to take part in Slack to communicate with, I don't know, maybe they're in a grad school class or something mm -hmm. like that. Like if they start to use it and they get value out of it, they can then start preaching the benefits for their organization to their colleagues and their bosses. And soon enough, the company purchases a license to use Slack. Exactly. That makes sense. The same can be said for Zoom or Calendly. They both seem to be inherently designed with growth in mind because when I send you a Calendly invite to look at my schedule, pick a time to meet, right, um, or a Zoom link so that we can video chat, the product's essentially advertising itself to you. Yeah, it definitely is. And there's other examples that Blake references too. There are a lot of great examples. Um, and we actually have done a lot of studying um, of this kind of internally here at OpenView. And uh, there's currently today 19 public companies um, that have a product-led growth model. Um, and again, there's companies like Slack and Zoom and Atlassian, Shopify, Twilio, Dropbox, the list goes on. But these are all, I mean, that's kind of the who's who list of, you know, modern software companies that everybody's trying to emulate today. They're all really, really great companies. And they're also really monster in terms of size now as public businesses. So there are a plethora of examples. And it seems like all of the new IPOs that are that are happening and all the best IPOs like Slack and Zoom and, and others really have this product-led growth model. So it's kind of like, you know, when you when you have a, a, a roster of, of folks like that, it's kind of like, where do I begin, right, as, as great examples. I know for us at OpenView, we certainly look at, you know, companies like that that are public now, but we also think about our personal portfolio and the companies that we're investors in and that we work with every single day, and that really some of whom have taught us and shown us what uh, product life growth looks like in practice. And that's companies like Expensify and Calendly and, you know, Datadog's another one. They actually recently filed their own S1 and they're getting ready to go public. So there are plenty of examples and it really seems to be this, this wave that's building uh, and a really tremendous way of product-led growth. So when a product is inherently built for growth in mind and follows a product-led growth strategy, is it better than the other growth models that already exist, whether it's SEO, content marketing, or you know the numerous others? Yeah, I actually asked Blake that exact question, but I'll let Blake explain why I probably was not asking the right question. It's not so much about you know, what's better is, um, you know, is something like growth hacking or is growth marketing or is, you know, sales uh, orientation, you know, what really is the kind of the best, um, you know, strategy to employ. It's more what's what's relevant and what actually works. And um, I think that a great way to sort of show the stark contrast is to think about, you know, if we're currently in the end user era and you kind of rewind the tapes back like a couple of decades, maybe like three decades, literally back into the 90s uh, and into the 80s, 
And um, you think about kind of what did software look like back then? I, I kind of, if we're in the end user era now, I'd describe that old school days as probably like the CIO era, right? And software was totally different than what we think about today. It was software lived on a physical box, you know, in a physical rack, inside a physical data center, or, you know, perhaps a physical server closet if you're a smaller company. And the only way you could get new software adopted is to get the CIO or whoever owns IT to bless the fact that, yep, we're going to install this new box. We're going to put this, put this new thing inside the, the data center or inside that server rack, right? And so the way that you would sell back then in those old school days was with a, a, an incredibly traditional sales model, um, you know, field sales with like blazer wearing sales reps out there in the field, carrying a bag, carrying a quota, you know, probably taking the CIO out on, you know, the golf course for 18 holes, followed by a fancy steak dinner that night, maybe take them to a ball game, like all these things that you're going to bring brochures, right? And you're going to like try to get advertisements in the trade rags, all of these things that like today in 2019 sound incredibly antiquated and incredibly sort of just not relevant at all to how sort of software is sold and distributed today. And so that's kind of how I think about product-led growth, right? If you look back at that old way of doing, you know, sort of field-based sales and saying that sounds incredibly irrelevant to the current environment today, well, you know, that's kind of the point, right? If that we're in this environment where, you know, the end user is in control, then why would you want to use a sales methodology or why would you want to use a distribution approach that like feels so antiquated and feels like it's built for, a, for, for yesteryear? Because really it was. So I think that's kind of the fundamental question to start with is what actually works today based on the environment that presents itself. Um, and since it's the end user era, I think it has to be product-led growth. Um, but look, product-led growth still has, like marketing is a thing, right? Marketing um, doesn't go away in product-led growth. It just looks a little bit different. And sales doesn't go away in product-led growth. It just looks a little bit different. So I, I kind of like to frame it that way, which is this is not a, mar this is not a gross tactic and you should just have this tactic along with many other tactics in your in your tool bag. It really is kind of a foundational organizing paradigm uh, that that is really influences how you do all things growth inside your company. Growth by way of schmoozing at the ball game. <laughs> that sounds like something that would be totally up your alley. I mean, I do like going to sporting <laughs> events, but not necessarily with vendors trying to sell me stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's get back to the topic. <laughs> yes, let's. So I'm curious if Blake thinks we're at the point where people in the software world, especially in SaaS, truly understand what product-led growth is. Because maybe we're in the end-user era, as he puts it, but do people actually get it yet? That's actually a great question. Uh, because product-led, it kind of has been popping up lately as, I mean, like a popular buzzword phrase. I mean, I just had Eric Boduck on an industry interview live video chat um, and Eric's one of the co-founders of Pendo. And the topic he wanted to talk about was product-led organizations. And we even at industry coming up, our conference, there are a couple sessions on what it means to be product-led. So people are definitely talking about it. But do those people actually know, this sounds bad, but what they're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> hey, Eric knows what he's talking about for sure. <laughs> but But in terms of other people kind of with this buzzword popping up, I mean... It's actually a great question. And actually, the lack of understanding or even oversimplification of what product-led means, that's something that Blake did touch up on. The biggest uh, pitfalls are sort of a, an oversimplification of what product-led growth is. Uh, I talked about earlier, you know, that it's just another tactic I'm going to have in my bag. 
along with, you know, all the traditional things I've always had, you know, we talked about that, but another sort of oversimplification or sort of minimization of product-led growth that I hear is that it's just the freemium strategy, right? Which is, it's true that most product-led growth products have a free trial or they have, you know, freemium pricing options, but freemium is, that's a pricing strategy. That's not a go-to-market strategy. So it's one small component of the overall pie um, that I think you need to take into consideration. So, you know, I think you can minimize that way and sort of just look at the pricing and packaging and assume that that's all that's special about Slack, which is clearly not the case, right? Um, or you could also say, well, it's just about self-serve. Right now, our call to action on our website is request a demo or contact sales, but we could just as easily make that sign up now and create a self-sign-up flow and then boom, we're done, right? We have product-led growth now that you have self-sign-up. And no, it's not that simple, right? It's not as simple as just having a sign-up button. It's not as simple as just having freemium pricing. Uh, it's kind of a lot of other things that go into really, um, again, how you completely transform the way you think about, you know, building the product for end users instead of for executives and then distributing that product to end users instead of the executives as well. So there's there's a lot more than just pricing and packaging or you know a sign up button. So for product people that are hearing all of this and nodding their heads, right? But they don't know where to start. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. Like what should they do? The first question to ask yourself, and it's a very uh, simple sounding question, but it's not easy at all, is who is your end user? And, and what does that look like? What does that mean to you? Uh, and really getting clear on that persona, right? And this is a little bit of a different question than, um, than I think in a different sort of way to think about your software product and the way to think about your software business than I think traditionally uh, we might think about. We, we might think about in that sales-led motion, who is the customer champion, right? Who's the, uh, and a lot of times in the sales methodology lingo, people will say, who's the economic buyer and who's the you know, technical buyer? right? Because there's a, a budget holder and then there's somebody who's going to actually pick the product. But um, those are senior execs who are sort of write, writing the check and sort of stamping the procurement process through. But that's not actually who probably uses the software, right? So who actually uses the software every single day, logging in, looking at your screen for minutes or hours, um, you know, kind of on end. And so think through that. Who's the end user? Who's actually using the software? Not who bought the software, not who sponsored the software, not who writes the check for the renewal, but who actually uses it. And if you get clear on that, then you can start to say, okay, well, if this is our end user, if I'm selling sales software, then my end user is probably not the VP of sales. My end user is the actual sales rep themselves. And so now if you're thinking about yourself in that sales rep's shoes, in that end user's shoes, well, what's their pain, right? Not what's the ROI the executive thinks about, but what's the actual day-to-day pain that that end user, this sales rep in this prototypical example that I'm using, what are they experiencing? And what do they hate? You know, what do they get frustrated with in your product, right? If you have an existing legacy product that's been out there for a while, you don't have to throw it in the trash, but you can make it better, right? By looking through the lens of the end user and looking for ways to remove that friction, looking for ways to remove that annoyance or that frustration that they might have you know, kind of with their day-to-day job or with, you know, using the uh, the actual screens that you guys have built uh, as a software company. And if you start with that point of like thinking about the end user and you always bring it back to that mindset, always bring it back to that paradigm, I think it will change the way that you look at all of the product decisions in your business, the way that you look at sort of the distribution implications then of the product that you've now built and designed. 
So consider those steps that Blake mentioned and also just start to immerse yourself in all of the resources that exist that are out there. Because right now, there are actually a ton of great resources on what it means to be product-led and what it means to build products with growth in mind. Oh, yeah. So what are some of those that, you know, someone listening, they should check out? Yeah, well, you can start with OpenView Ventures, where Blake's from. I mean, they have their own point of view on the topic. Um, and you can actually check out some of their stuff at openviewpartners.com slash product dash led dash growth. So nice. product led growth, but you know, with the dashes in it and everything. Um, I also mentioned how recently we had Eric Bodak. Um, one of the co-founders of Pendo on for an industry interview to talk about what it means to be product-led. Pendo has their own thoughts on the topic as well, and they have some eBooks and all sorts of other resources. Their stuff's at pendo.io slash product-led, product-led, just with the dash. Nice. Uh, uh, definitely worth checking those out. Anything else? Yeah, so I have one more to mention. Um, I actually had a chat recently with Despina from reinventgrowth.co, and we had a great conversation that I was going to use for this episode, but well, I had some audio issues and nah. it's, it's not going to work out, but the conversation was a great one. And her team actually did a ton of research on the topic and they have a report that listeners can download. And I actually created a, a little shortened link. It's just bit.ly like bit.ly slash product-led growth. Um, it's a report that reinventgrowth.co did on the state of product-led experience. That's what it's called, the state of the product-led experience. And it's another great resource that's definitely worth digging into. So a big thanks for Despina for sharing that too. Nice, nice. Well, with all the buzz about this topic, I think it's good that we got a chance to dig in a little bit. Maybe we'll do some more soon. What else is going on? Anything interesting coming up next week? Seriously, Michael. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> There's industry, right? The product conference is happening next week. I'll be flying out to Cleveland. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. And you know, my my stress level might be a little high right now. But uh, <laughs> but yes, industry takes place September 23rd through the 25th. We've got over a thousand product people um, all under one roof. I think there's like 38 states and 10 countries that people are coming in from. So I will definitely be in my element with a whole bunch of product people. That is awesome. Awesome. Any last minute tickets? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most of the workshops are sold out. There might be a, there might be a couple left for the design sprint workshop in particular, which is actually pretty cool. It's a full day design sprint workshop with John Zaratsky. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. One of the originators yeah. of the design sprint. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's some passes left that you could still get general mission style. And yeah, I mean, Hey, if you have the chance to come, you definitely should. It will be a fun time. Well, awesome. We'll have an episode next week where we'll figure something out. Um, hopefully, we'll keep talking about growth here. And if you're in Cleveland, come say hi. We'll have a booth for Rocket Ship, and uh, you know we'll be hanging out. So, uh, looking forward to seeing everybody. Yes, and you'll hear from us soon. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.